Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 14th of December 2014, entitled, Preparing for the Advent of Jesus Christ. The Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. If you'd like to uh, open your Bibles up, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 1, familiar passage um, for this time of the year. And the title of this message tonight is Preparing for the Advent of Jesus Christ. And um, if you've got a pen, you might want to jot down a few scriptures tonight because I'm going to be um, looking at quite a few um, scriptures. Um, Let's just read from, um, from verse 18, shall we? As we stand. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise... When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he fought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Please be seated. Whether you love it or whether you love it, it's here again, isn't it? Christmas time. Um, you know, the time of the year where people think and dwell upon the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and they think upon the first advent. You know, the world tonight are preparing for the first advent. They're preparing for December the 25th. But unfortunately, many people are not prepared for his second advent. And I'd like to speak tonight about preparing for the advent of Jesus Christ. You know, in our reading tonight, um, if we just look in verse 20, we can see here that God is making a preparation uh, for the first advent. And if we just read um, this verse 20, and uh, remember that Joseph here, Um, is engaged to be married to Mary, and the engagement in those days in the Jewish culture was just like you're married, okay? They would sign an agreement, and you could call each other husband and wife, and it was just like, um, like, it's like a contract that's been signed, and the only way to really get out of it was to put this person away, which would be meant like like a divorce. Um, So Mary uh, has been found with a child, um, 
pregnant, okay? And uh, for Joseph, this is, you know, strange news. How can this be? Um, we understand that this is of God. And this child is going to be born of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Um, and Joseph is, um, you know, he's wondering what to do. And um, the angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And we read in verse 20, it says, But while he fought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And I want us to see in this verse here that God is making a preparation for the advent of the Lord. And um, we see it here in the lineage of Joseph, Mary, and consequently, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, notice what it says in verse 20 about the lineage of Joseph. It says, this, the, the angel appeared to Joseph, saying, Joseph, and then he calls him, thou son of David. What is so special about Joseph being called the son of David? You know, we read it on Christmas cards, and we just think, well, yeah, that's, that's Joseph's title. But what does it really mean? Joseph, thou son of David. Well, I want us to have a look at that uh, for a few moments tonight. Um, you may say, well, wasn't Joseph's father Jacob? If we have a look up in verse 16, we see it says, And Jacob begat Joseph. And you may be thinking, well, surely Jacob is the father of Joseph. How can David be the father of Joseph? Um, thou son of David was basically a title, but he was of the lineage of David, the king. Um, you know, to many people tonight, Joseph is just a humble carpenter from Nazareth. But in the scriptures, Joseph is an important man, and he is of the line of David. Joseph was an heir to the kingly line. There was an heritage. There was a promise made by God to Joseph's line. And we're going to see this um, the, this evening, and we're going to see the importance here of the lineage, first of all, of Joseph. Matthew uh, chapter 1 and verse 16, according to Matthew here, we see that Joseph was of a kingly heritage. Let's just turn to verse 6 of Matthew. And it says, And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her, which was Bathsheba, that had been the wife of Urias. Uh, so according to Matthew, Joseph was of a kingly heritage, going all the way back to King David through Solomon, his son. Joseph was the heir to a vacant throne. There was no throne at the time of Joseph in Israel. Um, and you may be saying, well, why wasn't there? Why wasn't Joseph a king? If he is of the lineage of David, and as we read um, in Matthew chapter 1, uh, from David downwards, we see the names of kings. Why did the genealogy stop at the Lord Jesus Christ? In verse 16 there. That's interesting, isn't it? Joseph's ancestor, David, 
desired to build a house for God. Let's just turn back in the Old Testament, and we're just going to have a look at a few scriptures here to just see the background of why there, why Joseph was not a king and why there was not a kingdom upon this earth when Joseph was alive, because he was of the line of David. And if you just turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, you find the book of Chronicles and Kings, and go back to 2 Samuel chapter chapter 7, and we see in verse 1 and verse 2 that King David had a desire in his heart for God. And this desire was to build a house for God, for God, for his glory. Let's just see what it says. It says, It came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now... I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. See, the ark of God really was still like it was in the desert, in the tabernacle. Uh, But David looked around and he saw the dwelling that he was living in, but he wanted something big, something great for for his God. Um, And we see the the answer to David's uh, request um, if you just keep um, your fingers in Second Samuel there, but just turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. We're going to have a good um, knowledge of the Bible tonight in the Old Testament, where the books are. Um, 1 Chronicles chapter 22, and we're going to see why David was not allowed to build this temple for God. Um, we'll take it up in verse um, 7, and it says, And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. We go on to read it, verse 9. Behold... A son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. And he did have peace, and he did have quietness. Um, in verse 10, he says that he shall build an house for my name. And he shall be my son. And then he says, And I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. And here we see that David was not allowed to build this house for God because he had blood on his hands. He was a man of war, although he he had a, a heart for God. But he was not able to build that house. But we see that God enters into a, a covenant with David. It's called the Davidic Covenant. And if you just turn again to one, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see here that God makes a wonderful promise. And it has far-reaching implications because it reaches a thousand years later to the birth of Jesus Christ and to the second coming of Jesus. Um, let's just take it up at verse 12. 
And uh, we see here the story that God is uh, promising to David um, that there is going to be a house built, but it's not, not going to be built by you, but by your seed. And it says in verse 12, And when the de- thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, God says, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So there's a promise here from God that he's going to build and establish a kingdom through David's seed, which would be Solomon. And he says, and he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And we see here that it has a far-reaching view. It's prophetic. And it's not just looking at Solomon, but it's looking way down the line because it's going to be an everlasting throne. And then he says in verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And we see here that God is entering into a covenant with David and is promising the perpetuity of his dynasty and an everlasting throne upon this earth through Solomon. Now you may be asking tonight, well, where is that throne upon the earth today? You know, Solomon died about 3,000 years ago. You go to Israel today, there's no throne. There's no king. Where is it? Has the promise of God failed? Let's just turn to Psalm 89. And here we have a psalm which speaks of David and this covenant, this covenant that God had promised for David. And this psalm is a, is a confirmation of the covenant, but it's also a warning that disobedience in the royal line would be punished. But his covenant would never be broken. You know, if it was up to man for God to keep his covenant, we would be big problems, wouldn't we? You know? And that should give us encouragement tonight because God's made a covenant with us as Christians. It's called the new covenant. And if you're born again and you've been saved, God will keep you right up until the end. He's a God who keeps his covenant. Now, let's just have a look at Psalm 89 and from uh, verse 30. And um, here it's speaking about uh, the line of David. Um, and he's saying that if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments... If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenants will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. And then he says, verse 6, His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. So we see here that God, this covenant that David has entered into with his God, that there is a warning 
that if this royal line are disobedient, then they're going to be punished with the rod. But God is going to keep his covenant for his people concerning the throne of David. And I'd like to say tonight that those people who think that God has broken his covenant with Israel, then you need to really study the scriptures because God will never break his covenant. He's made a covenant with his people that there will be a kingdom upon this earth and there's going to be a king who's called the king of the Jews who's going to rule and reign upon this earth. And the Bible says that all the nations are going to go up to Jerusalem. It's not a spiritual place. It's a natural, physical place. All the nations are going to go and worship the king of kings who's a Jew. God has not broken his covenant. But we do see in the scriptures that we're just going to have a look at that these kings were unfaithful to God. And God had to punish them. And if you just turn back to Matthew chapter 1, and we see an interesting point made in verse 11 about the genealogy of Joseph. And I hope that you can uh, just keep with me um, over these next few moments, because this is quite important for us to understand. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 11, because here we have um, the kings of Israel, and uh, we notice in verse 11 that there is a king called Jeconias. Okay, please don't lose me. Jeconias. All right, it's in your Bible, and it says in verse 11, and Josias, this was King Josiah, begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. This name here is very important because Joseph, we see, was a descendant of Jeconias. And this man, he was the last king to reign upon David's throne. After Jeconias, there are no kings mentioned here, but they went into Babylon. We know, don't we, for 70 years. And when they came back, Israel didn't have a king. So Jeconias, who went into Babylon, he went there as the last king. Now, if we just turn to Second Chronicles chapter 36, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, and don't worry if you don't get all the information and scriptures tonight, you know, God willing, be able to listen to it if it's been recorded. Um, if not, I've got, I can give you a copy of some of these scriptures, but um, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. We're going to see how important this is really to understanding the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus. Um, chapter 36 and verse 8. And uh, here, um, it's speaking about uh, Jehoiakim, this is a Hebrew name of the father of Jeconias. And it says, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and his abominations which he did, and that which he was found in him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiakim, now I want you to notice that this name, Jehoiakim, is another name for Jeconias, who we're thinking about from Matthew. Um, this man... Uh, Jeconias, he's known to have um, four names 
in Scripture. Well, let's just keep here with his name, Jehoiakim. And it says that Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his stead. Okay? Jehoiakim went, Jehoiakim, or Jehoiakim, he reigns now. In verse 9, it says, Jehoiakim was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And it says in verse 10, And when the year was expired, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the goodly vessels of the house of the Lord, and made Zedekiah his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah is not mentioned in Matthew. Okay? I believe that's important. Because I believe that the, the, the last recognized king here was Jeconias, who went into Babylon. And we see um, in Jeremiah, if you just turn to Jeremiah now, okay, and we're going to try and get this uh, sewn up, if you like, that we can understand what's going on here. Jeremiah chapter 22, in this is the, the, the same time, okay, uh, that these things are happening. And we see chapter 22 and verse 24. And we see here a man named Coniah. This is the same man, Jeconias, Jehoiakim. All right, it's the same man. And God is saying that as I live, saith the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet I would pluck thee thence. And I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, this is the Babylonians, and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. And then he says, and I will cast thee out. This is what's going to happen now to this king. He says, and thy mother that bare thee into another country, where ye were not born, and there shall ye die. This is the place where he died. But to the land whereunto they desire to return, they desire to return to Israel, it says, neither shall they return. In verse 28, is this man, Cornea, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Notice verse 30, this is very important. He says, Thus saith the Lord, Write ye this man, this is Jeconias, childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. And then he says, For no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. And we see here, that although his brother Zechariah reigned after him, Jeconias' seed was cursed and it was cut off. He was the last king to go into Babylon. And God had made a promise that because of the evil that they had done, that of his seed, it says in verse 30, that no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. So that gives us a, a question now. 
is is the is has the, has the promise of God failed? See, God had promised that through the through the the line and the seed of David, that there would be somebody that would sit upon David's throne, and that there would be an everlasting kingdom upon this earth. But how can it be? If Jeconias has gone into Babylon, and there is no more seed, how is that going to be? You know, the Jews today, they, they, they must be wondering why. What, what's, why is there no king in Israel? Where is he going to come from? The answer is here. And it's in Matthew chapter, 20, chapter 1. Had the promise of God failed to have an everlasting kingdom and a king upon David's throne? Well, I want us to see tonight. Let's just turn back to Matthew chapter 1. Let's just see how God made preparations for the kingdom to continue. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 16. And I want you to notice here that Joseph, although he was of the royal line and he was a humble carpenter, that his kingship was disallowed. Verse 16 says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And it ends there. It doesn't say that Jacob begat another king, but it stops, doesn't it? And we see here that the narrative now turns to Mary. Let's just turn again to verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, and then it says, the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And that is important because Mary is also of the house of David. You've got here the, 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 the genealogy of Joseph, but it was cut off. But we're going to see now that God's promise and his covenant was going to continue through the line of David, through Mary. Let's just turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And I want you to just see here how Mary was of the house and lineage of David. Not through Solomon, but through Nathan. Nathan was a brother of Solomon, but he was the son of David. Let's just see in verse uh, 23. And it says, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Now, Heli is not mentioned in Matthew because Heli was Mary's father. And Heli was Joseph's father-in-law. Okay? So this is the line of Mary now. Um, and we've just turned to... Um, verse 30, um, 31, and we can see here that her line goes back to David. And it says in verse 31 at the end, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. So we see here that Mary's line, it goes all the way back to David through Nathan, the other son. Um we just turn to Luke chapter 1, 
and you've you've been brilliant so far please stay with me because we're just going to see now how it comes together in the virgin birth of Christ uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 and we see here that the crown rights of this kingdom they come to Jesus they come through two lines but they come through the virgin birth of Mary. Let's just see in verse 26. It says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And we know in verse 28 it says that the angel came to her, and he says that you are a blessed woman, Verse 29, that she was troubled in her mind. And verse 30, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. Verse 31, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. The Lord Jesus Christ was of the lineage of David through Mary. Verse 33, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So we see here that God's promise of this everlasting kingdom has not failed. If it was left to the kings, it would have failed. But you see, God here is preparing for the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God's covenants don't fail. And isn't it amazing that these two lines, the line of Joseph, the kingly line, and the lineage of Mary, they come together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary was of the line of David, and also Joseph was as well. You know that had Jesus inherited Joseph's blood, that he would have been a descendant of Jeconias. And the Bible said of whom no man of his seed shall prosper upon the throne of David. Let's just turn again to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we see here that, again, Jesus was not begotten of Joseph. This is so important. He is the Son of God. He's begotten of God by the Holy Spirit. It's a virgin birth. It's miraculous. It's not the norm. But this is the way it had to be. Joseph could not be the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, And Jacob begat Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. And we see here that Jesus was born of the seed of a woman and not of a man. That's incredible. But that's the way God planned it. You know, the modern Bibles, this is one of the reasons why 
I won't have anything to do with them. It's because they take away the importance of the virgin birth in the Bible. And I don't want any truck with them at all. But I just thank God that he has shown me the problems. And one of the ones that came to me years ago when I saw, I was comparing different Bibles, the modern Bibles with the King James Bible, and this verse came, and it really has to do with the virgin birth of Jesus. And if you just turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we know that Simeon was a man who um, prophesied and he was um, in the temple and he was waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel to be born. And it says in verse 33, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now, in the modern Bibles, the modern versions of the Bible, they changed this to the child's father and mother marveled. And you see there's a big difference there because Jesus didn't have a father. The only father that the Lord Jesus Christ had was God himself. And you see in the King James Bible, it says, and Joseph and his mother marveled. It doesn't say, as the modern Bibles say, the child's father and mother marveled. That's important. It is. Because what it does is it throws doubt upon God's promises to keep his covenant. You see, if Joseph had come, if Jesus had come from the line of Joseph, then he wouldn't have been able to be the king of Israel and have a kingdom because of the curse that came back to those kings years ago. But he was born of God and he was born of Mary. He was born of the seed of the woman. It's incredible. Absolutely amazing. Hebrews 10 verse 5 says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. And then he says, But a body hast thou prepared me. And you see, the body that the Lord Jesus Christ had was prepared by God himself through the virgin birth. Born of the seed of a woman, not the seed of Joseph. You see here that God had to make these preparations for the first advent, or else there would be no second advent to look forward to. You know, Paul, he said in Romans eleven thirty three, and I think as we think on this tonight that we can agree with Paul. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. We would never plan something like that. That's God's preparations. I wonder tonight, dear Christian, you made the best preparation that you will ever make when you became a Christian. When you saw Jesus Christ for who he was, he's the saviour of this world. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. We were thinking of that this morning. The Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. And if you're a Christian here tonight, you have made the greatest preparation that you will ever make for the future. 
Let's just turn to James chapter 2 because the Bible says that you are an heir of this kingdom that God has promised. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth and he's going to set up his throne and he is going to be the king. But you're going to have a part in that if you're a Christian tonight. And James 2 and verse 5 says, Hearken or listen, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Do you love him tonight? Do you know him as your personal saviour? Have you been born again? If you have, you're going to have a part in this kingdom. That's something we're thinking about, isn't it? Getting excited about. This world, is pass- this world is going to pass away. But God's world, God's kingdom is not going to pass away. And if you're a Christian, you're going to have a part of that. Great. Wonderful. I wonder what preparation are you making, though, for his next advent? Do you believe the Lord is coming back? The Bible says that he is, and he's coming back very soon. But what preparations are we making for his next advent with the way that we're living our lives? We're Christians. How are we living each day our lives? Are we living in the expectation that Christ could come at any moment? We need to be living in preparation of his coming. You know, maybe you can agree with this, but it's my, what I see is that I see a lot of Christians who are not living lives in preparation of his return. And I see it through a lack of zeal for God, a lack of zeal to be in the house of God, with a lack of zeal to study the Bible. And these are things that we need to be doing as Christians, each one of us. Is there a lack of the zeal of pray, praying in our daily lives? What about evangelism? What about preparing other people to meet the Lord? If not, why, why don't we recommit our lives tonight and ask him to just help us to be prepared each day? You know, last night it was such a blessing to see eight, I'm not going to call myself and, well, I'll have to call Angelica a young, I'll probably get a beating when I get back home about it, but Nice to see young people last night at the, at the rest home. Eight young people sharing their faith with people who are not prepared. Not prepared at all. They're getting prepared for Christmas, for the first advent, but there's no preparation for his second advent. And that's the one that's important. Yes, it's good. And, you know, I don't mind celebrating and remembering the birth of Jesus Christ. But let's not forget that he's coming back and that we need to be prepared for him. Um, 
what about you tonight as a non-Christian? What about your preparations? Um, you know, you've made preparations for Christmas, haven't you? You've been preparing presents. Maybe you've been buying. Maybe you've been wrapping them up. You prepare to get a Christmas tree, maybe. You're preparing your Christmas cards. Um, you're preparing to invite your family around for Christmas Day. You're not going to miss Christmas, are you? You're prepared for it. But what about your soul? Is it prepared to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, is it prepared to meet God should he come today? Or if you depart this life early? Now the Bible says that your soul is of eternal value. Let's just turn to one last scripture. Mark chapter 8. And really, we were thinking this morning in the Sunday school about priorities, putting things into perspective. But Mark chapter 8 and verse 35 says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. And verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? Look, you may have a lovely Christmas time. You may get all the presents that you've been wishing for and you may get your family around and you may have a great Christmas time. But the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's better to not be prepared for Christmas than to be prepared for the Lord's second return than to be prepared for Christmas and not to be prepared for his second return. Are you prepared tonight? Am I prepared? Let's be those who live prepared for the advent of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you tonight for the virgin birth. What a miracle. And Lord, if it wasn't for the, the virgin birth, then all the promises of God would fail. We thank you, dear Lord, that the virgin birth is so important. We thank you, dear Lord, that you are returning. But Lord, help us, if we are Christians tonight, to be prepared. The Bible says be sober, be vigilant. Lord, help us to, be, to, to live prepared. And Lord, if we're not Christians tonight, help us just to commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.